behind Jack he's just like head in heart head in heart guys right have fun bye <laughs> that was uh, well that was interesting wasn't it <laughs> what, 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 what a way to start um, good evening everyone uh, I'm MJ Tech and I will be your host tonight on LDO uh, Jack has had to fly away because he's meeting Tony and the pair of them are going off on their romantic beach holiday um, with me tonight's contestants are uh, we have Curry Kitten hello everybody Andy RC. Good evening, everybody. We have Ash from Let's uh, Let's Drone Out. Well, he's from Let's Drone Out right now, but droning on, what? Ash. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> uh, we have Grant from Fat Shark. Peace, everyone. And we have Alan, CEO, CEO of Fat Shark. Hi, Alan. Hello. Awesome. So how is everyone doing? Doing good. Yeah. I'm just I'm just trying to get over that amazing rendition of uh it was, it, it was pretty epic. Yeah, it brought that. back memories. And for those that don't know where that comes from, me and Jack were at Western Park and they were doing the, the evening light show. And that song came on and something just came over Jack and he just held my hand and just <laughs> and just said, what's, what's the quote? Paint me like you paint those French girls or something. And it was just, <laughs> it was really special. So thanks, thanks for that. Yeah, I think we've all had some slightly creepy moments with Jack like that, haven't we? That's why we love him. That's why we love him. Um, so uh, there's so much to talk about tonight. Um, uh, we certainly, one of the things we certainly have to get onto is the uh, subject of this um, government situation uh, for the UK and uh, basically trying to get everyone over to see uh, Painless 360's video on the subject, um, over to Simon Dale's channel. Um, I don't know if we can get someone to post some links in the chat uh, so we can uh, we can maybe start talking about that. Now, there is a very, very long um, survey to fill out, and at the minute, those numbers uh, are very low from everyone in the UK that we need to uh, to get talking about this. So, um, Curry Kitten, I know you did a video about this um, not so long ago, so maybe you can uh, give us a little bit of your opinion. Yep, I was just posting the um, the link there in the main chat. It is, it's a really quite long document, and um, I don't know, perhaps these these government things try and put you off by, by making it 97 pages long. Yes. But there is some really crucial stuff in there uh, because it touches on all the actual legal aspects of what the, the legal things are going to be and how they're going to enforce it more importantly and there's some really troubling things especially with their suggestion of the extra police powers they're going to give which is essentially um oh it looks like you might have a drone we're going to search your car or your house we're going to make you lend your drone we can confiscate your drone we can look for footage where you might have done something that we don't like so we could take away your computers and memory cards and all this sort of stuff yeah that, it sounded very very violating a lot of what was uh, being discussed in that survey yeah. I, I mean that's, that. that's the worst thing there's there's a lot of sections on it and it touches on about age limits for pilots although it doesn't really have any suggestions it just says well people can normally only fly a plane when they're this old and yet we let modelers fly them at this old which is like there's a slight disconnect there and then things about this, uh, what's called the FIN system, where they're suggesting mm. about having a proper plan about every time you fly a drone. It's like you should put it in a planning system, possibly some online phone app, and say, I'm going to be flying here and I'm going to be going this high and this far. Trying to do that, just imagining the logistics of doing that for every sort of battery you do in that. It's just a nightmare. And, of course, when the police turn up, they say, show us, show us your plan and this sort of thing. And then you've got the whole registration thing once again popping up uh, and some details a little bit about that. It's kind of inferred, really, which is kind of like we'll have each pilot needs to register on this on the, uh, you know, the drone offenders register, as we might want to call it. And then they have to put a little sticky on every single drone. Uh, and this will clearly stop any crime 
thing. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's the thing, isn't it? You t- those that are going to be the the bad doers aren't going to very well put their full name, address, and drone number on the uh, the side of whatever they're about to do something exactly. bad with. It's it's quite a ridiculous thing. Ash, what what are your thoughts on this? Uh, I was gagging to speak then. So it's interesting because everyone's going to have a very different perspective on this. Um, for me, I saw the police powers actually as a positive, not a negative. The reason is the people like us, who generally are responsible and competent, <laughs> can't say that without smiling. <laughs> make, make us believe you. Yeah, okay, sorry, yeah, serious yeah, face. It, Ash. Serious face. But no, generally, the, the likes of us, you know, we we might push the boundaries a little bit, but we're not, we're not doing anything illegal. Uh, and even with these new powers in force, we wouldn't be doing anything illegal. The types that will still fly illegally are still going to fly illegally, even when these regulations are implemented. A little bit like when they, you know, some kiddie who's 14 steals a car and drives it, um, they take his license off him and ban him from driving for, for 10 years. Well, it's irrelevant. He's still going to drive. Um, and you see the same repeat offenders. So I see the police powers, the way I interpreted them anyway, is that if somebody's committing a crime or suspected of committed a, a crime which involves a crime, i.e. ferrying drugs into a prison um, or photographing somebody um, in a, invading someone's privacy, the police will have a right to stop and search them, uh, demand that they land their drone, etc. And I think that's a positive because it's not going to happen to us. And if it does, then they're abusing their powers and you escalate that. But it, the reality is that the police are not out to get all of us. They're out to stop crime. So this gives them powers that right now they don't have. I, I think the other problem here is is all the main problem, certainly for us lot, is, is that we, the hobbyists in this, feel targeted for the actions of the kind of everyday consumers who are who are going out and buying the toy grade stuff and maybe doing stupid stuff with it and it's i don't know if there isn't really some responsibility that lays with the the vendors the you know the maplins of this world and although they've gone obviously and and the companies responsibly selling to people that are obviously have the potential to be irresponsible and are certainly misinformed i mean from our group the people that, that we're talking about as us as a hobbyist group, I mean, even if you're talking about a plug and fly, I mean, if you're building something, you, you have to know how these things work. You have to know the intricacies of them because that's how you get this thing into the air. Um, and even the RTF stuff, um, there's still a, a quite a learning curve for someone who's just getting into it. And, and with that comes a lot of benefits and a lot of knowledge and you, you can't help but get involved in all of that. But I feel like the problem is this is, this is kind of it's putting us all in that group and it feels like the bmfa have also kind of shut the door on us a bit here as well um so we're in this middle ground where we're we're kind of being targeted um for the actions of of either side uh, yeah it's a it's a it's a really tricky one and it's there's just so much uh there's so much gray area in all of this and i, I don't feel like i feel like the whole thing's a big blurred vision there's no kind of focus yet as to uh, to where this is going to end up, I think that's 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 the troubling thing. Is the um, I mean, I didn't like it anyway about multi rotor pilots being separated, segregated to use a stronger word from the other guys. But hmm. it, it's almost like if you're going to do that, then you might as well split it properly. So okay, let's let's have what's a GPS drone, which is your consumer. Let's let's face it, it's the DDI the DJI bunch of stuff and the other stuff without a GPS on it, without an auto type pilot on it is, is a completely different thing. It really splits the consumer market to the hobbyist market, which are very different terms of flying. Agreed. And we've been, the likes of us have been flying for 25 plus years, planes, helicopters and gliders. So, you know, we, you don't hear of any um, issues in the news over the last 25 years regarding RC. So it is the drone crowd, like you said, the DJI audience, um, the other thing I thought was quite interesting was this minimum age limit. And it does state that there's two definitions here. An operator, uh, which is the essentially they're terming the owner of the drone, the, the person who buys it and looks after it. And then there's the user, so the person who's actually flying it. Um, tell me if I've um, interpreted that wrong. But I didn't mind that so much until I saw their suggested minimum age of 18. Yeah, I think that's ridiculous. 
ridiculous, absolutely ridiculous. But I like I like the idea of a minimum age. I'm sorry to again agree with one of their silly regulations, but I wouldn't want my little boy when he's 12 years old buying a, a an Eosheen wizard, trying to power it up, plugging it into Beta Flight, and the the rotors fire up and chop his face to bits. Um, I want. I want some sort of supervision to make sure that a kid can't just go out and naively buy something that's going to potentially injure them. Yeah, I, I can. I sort of agree with that in part. That the other thing, though, that for me that, that immediately struck uh, struck a thought with me was was remember, for instance, like Luke Bannister, who then went off to Dubai and won the the first big Grand uh, multi rotor Grand Prix out there. Mm. You know, what was he fifteen when he won that? Yeah, um, I mean, and, and, and in terms of his, I mean, he's got into it the right way, had the supervision, yeah. had the support, et cetera, et cetera. But if that legislation came in that said, for instance, it's 18 to even operate the thing, I mean, with what we're doing in terms of, you know, just cutting away any chance of having young, talented people. And I mean, this goes back to full size aviation. We've got a real problem in full size aviation, although it's for a a different reason really mainly cost that the aviation general aviation is getting older and older and there's no young people coming in to replace um the that demographic because it's mainly because it's so expensive to get into but you know it's an age that's getting older and dying out and with this could in a different way kind of have the same problem if that sort of stuff goes forward you've, how do you get young people enthusiastic about it and, and taking perhaps, drone technology perhaps, and moving it forwards the- Perhaps there needs to be a parental thing because I can weigh in here because I've been flying since I was seven, right? And by the time I was 12, I was a BMFA instructor. So, uh, you know, so I taught like, you know, hundreds of people how to fly at the age of 12. So maybe there needs to be something where under parental control. Uh, it needs to be carefully regulated, definitely. Remember the definitions, operate, their definition of operator, and correct me if I'm wrong, I read it quickly today, operator is the owner of the drone. They're not saying that someone can't fly when they're seven, but what they are saying is someone can't own the drone and be responsible for the drone um, when they're under 12, uh, sorry, under 18 at the moment in the current proposal. My interpretation of it, Ash, is it's they're trying to do a legal thing here because it's more difficult to bring prosecutions against minors. So they they could basically yeah. say, well, you were responsible for it, therefore it was all your fault. But, I mean, going back to Luke, I, I, I first met Luke when he was 13, and I know he built his first quadcopter at school using, like, a, a carbon cutter. He goes to quite a posh school, and he <laughs> cut out a carbon himself and started flying it. And it would be a real shame if, uh, if you know, school turned around and said, oh, no, you can't, you can't build that here. Because yeah. someone has to take responsibility for it, so there's, there's, it's a very grey area. But it yeah. seems to, um, I mean, I, I don't mind it from the the sort of legal sort of perspective. I mean, when you're sending a child out with something, then you you, you hopefully expect that there's going to be some sort of either parental or older person <clears> taking <throat> some sort of responsibility for them anyway. Um, yeah, but, but but then why should that be any different than how it's been for decades? With planes and helicopters, helicopters being far more dangerous, uh, you, you know, it's it's again, it goes back to that thing of us, this kind of new apartheid that seems to be <laughs> a wall building between us and the, the BMFA. Business as usual, should it? Because yeah. you know, there's there's not that many seven year olds about like, oh, I've got five hundred quid burning a hole in my pocket. <laughs> I must go out and buy uh, a, a DJI or something or other so I can, you know drop drugs into prisons or stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's the wrong think, kind of circumstances are all pushing together. I think you're right, Wayne. I think you're right about the responsibility element because, yeah, the, the kid hasn't got 500 quid, but their daddy has, or their mummy. So it is a way, I think you're right, it's a way of saying that seven-year-old just flew their drone over a, an air, airfield. Dad, you're responsible. You're, you're the one going to court about it. I think you're right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Can I um, ask Alan? Sorry to just pull you into such a heavy topic to start. <laughs> no, off no, the worries. no worries. No worries at all. So, what, what, whereabouts are you in the world uh, for the benefit uh, of so our headquarters are in the Cayman Islands, so I'm there. And right. um, I, obviously, North America is going through very similar um, sort of <laughs> considerations right now. So, this mm-hmm. is really interesting because what you're seeing in the UK is a lot of the same discussion happening in the U.S. <clears throat> what there are some some interesting dynamics that are happening over here that maybe match what you're seeing. I don't know. I'd be curious. Um, 
Hobbyist is split into a few different segments here. You have AMA, which is a wonderful organization, but they really are putting their weight in helping form legislation behind like fixed wing and traditional line of sight aircraft, you know, which people have been building forever and you sit there and you fly and it's a lot of fun. And then you have definitely the aerial photography GPS platforms, which I think almost everybody in legislation sort of thinks of as hobbyist, right? Oh, like, okay, great. You have a Phantom or you have a Mavic or right? you're a hobbyist or you're a, you're a photographer. And then in the U.S., FPV in particular is considered an advanced capability aircraft because you can fly it sort of behind the building or you can navigate it really effectively. And so it's actually getting grouped in with the aerial photography drones um, in terms of the legislative oversight. But a lot of the consideration there, they're talking about, oh, it needs to transmit its location. It's like, mm, this thing doesn't have a GPS, <laughs> but from from the perspective of the government agencies, it has the same capabilities as something with a GPS, right? right? You can fly it out of line of sight. You can, you know, you can put a crossfire on something and fly it a real long way, or you can put in significant video signals and get a lot of the same performance that you might get out of a Phantom. You know, you can build it so it carries a payload. And what we find really interesting, or what I find really interesting in North America, is the reason why they're looking at some of this legislation and what their interests are uh, from the government side is they're really interested in starting to look at advanced sort of commercial drone applications, things like drone delivery with Amazon here. Or Yeah, we've got um, that being tested here too. Right. And, and so what happens is 20 years ago when people were flying, there was just not a lot in the sky. You know, in, in term, and but now there's millions of drones literally going up all the time, and they're like, oh, all right, how do we, how do we allow for these autonomous services? How do we allow for these enterprises to build and still really create a, a great chunk of room for all of the hobbyists and all of the education programs and everything else? And I think where a lot of this legislation is getting hung up, and where actually we're trying to help in North America, is we're just trying to help people be aware of how many like FPV freestyle pilots there actually are, right? It's actually a very large number of people and just the sort of the nature of how those flights are done is just a blind spot to a lot of the awareness of the people writing this legislation. And we found over here that as we talked to them, we're like, hey, here's kind of how this works. Here's how these guys go fly. They're like, oh, yeah, we didn't know that segment existed. Yeah, <laughs> you know, I def we, definitely we, feel that's, that's that gray area absolutely exists here as well we've got a lot of blind legislation uh being written by people who are probably getting shouted at in all different directions to put this stuff together and just as you say there's just segments like fpv freestyle and all those things that they they just it just won't be in the loop of consideration that's right and freestyle is the biggest problem in north america because racers they understand like actually you know, DRL and some of the other entities have done a really good job of at least creating awareness around racing. And so a lot of people can be like, oh, yeah, look, of course, you can go get your your location certified for flight. Great. That that can solve a lot of the, the racing challenges. So the real big gray area in North America, and I think the place where we, you know, there are thoughtful solutions that make sense is in FPV freestyle. Like for us, that's kind of the... If that gets solved, everything else sort of falls out of it because yeah. that's sort of the hardest edge case for us. So, but very similar, uh, it sounds like very similar challenges. They're really you interesting. Know, I, so I run a, a Mavic group, a specialist DJI Mavic group. It's got 43,000 members in there right now. And um, it's quite a chill moderating that group. Um, I noticed the Canadian members um, are very, very quick to tell anybody off that's flying contrary to the rules because Canada's now really clamped down on, on drone regulation, whereas the Americas have not. Uh, your regulations are very loose compared to um, the regulations that we have in England at the moment. I don't believe you have any sort of congested... We, in England, we're not allowed to fly within 150 metres of a congested area. In other words, anywhere that's residential, houses, people, etc. Uh, we're not allowed to fly within 50 metres of any building, structure, person, vehicle. Uh, I don't believe that exists in, in America. And I, on a daily basis, I see 
guys flying their drones in central New York, probably inspired by the likes of Casey Neistat. Um, and when you say to them, guys, you shouldn't be doing this, you know, they're immediately guns out, you know, come and challenge me with my drone and I'll shoot you. They don't understand. I think, I think when America starts to enforce regulations as we, we're seeing in England now, they're going to get a real shock because right now they think that they run the place and they'll fly where they want, when they want. That seems to be the attitude I, I pick up from the American members. Yeah, so in in the U.S., the it's been the, some regulations can't fly over people, can't fly within five miles of an airport, uh, are two very well-known ones. But uh, in the U.S. in particular, the reason why they're interested in this is because they believe that some of the hobbyist exemptions, which a lot of people will claim, uh, right or wrong, and I, most pilots are still very, very good pilots and, and well-behaved, right? It's always the exceptions that create these sensational events rather than sort of, I'd say, 98% or 99% of everybody. Right. But yeah, so to do, Alan, with the way that a lot of this legislation came into play, right? So you've got the FAA, you've got a lot of lobbying groups that are kind of pushing back and forth against each other here in the U.S. And we had legislation coming in 2012 that regulated a lot of this stuff. And, you know, we're looking at redoing it right now. I mean, you know, as, as you said later this year, it's going to tighten up a lot. But I think because of the fact that we had recent legislation, we just haven't had a good hard look at drones in the last two or three years, but it'll tighten up. Yeah. And I think it will be interesting, but I, I think, um, I think I agree actually that I, I think a lot of this legislation is a good thing, right? I think being able to empower and for like law enforcement to get a hold of a pilot and say, Hey, um, you probably aren't even aware of this, but you're creating a public safety danger. Like, do you mind, landing or do you mind flying somewhere else please you know you're in a flight path you're in one of these situations <clears throat> to me that represents a piece where if all the pilots comply in some way shape or form it's going to open up more airspace for people to fly because you know maybe you're allowed to fly around buildings now i, I think uh, the, uh, regulated. I, I think there are positives that are going to come with uh authorities feeling like they have more control over the negative situations. Yeah, I, 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 I do agree. There, there does seem to be, I mean, there's the, the YouTube is rife for, for things like this, as is the media, obviously. But you, I have seen a fair few of these videos, which seems to be, you know, where you get pilots going up and flying and then the police turn up. And more often than not, the drone pilot is far more in the knowledge about what he can and can't do and fully aware that the police, and I've seen that you know a lot of this in in, in videos in America actually, where where they know what's going on and they know what they can and can't do, and they're there quite happy to quote the rules that are out there, knowing about the grey areas. And in some cases, I kind of feel a bit sorry for the police because there might be instances where they do they something does need to be done, but they they haven't got the information. They clearly don't know anything about the subject and how to really deal with it. And it creates these huge, uh, you know, viral videos. And people love a car crash, don't they? They love seeing the police in a situation where they don't know what to say and they don't know how to handle the situation. And I guess uh, from that point of view, it's, it's important that they're brought into the know as much for them as it is for us, especially as hobbyists, um, from, from taking care of the people who are doing the bad things. And that was I know, another I, know, um, Sorry. I know this is completely off subject, guys, but I noticed that I noticed <laughs> that um, Casey Neistat had a video up where he took a little micro drone and flew it all around uh, like New York, and they were using fat sharks. Did you guys see that? <laughs> yeah, I mean. Um... I'm, so, I guess sorry I'm... to interrupt. Like what Droneworks, yeah, a company called Droneworks in America. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like, that's Fast Shark. They're on Casey Neistat. I, uh, I talk to him pretty regularly, actually. He actually is very responsive to his email. Uh, so anybody could email him. Just like, hey, Casey, let me send you a case of 7-Up or something. Are you serious? You talk wow. to Casey. Casey, I want a job. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, and we've talked a little bit about FPV. I mean, he's super interested in drones. Wait, he's... wait, wait, wait. You talk to Casey Neistat about FPV. Can you get him on this show? <laughs> I'm, sending him, I'm sending him an email. email We're all email. of a sudden about to get a million viewers. <laughs> <laughs> Casey at CaseyNeistat.com in case you're interested. 
But, oh my uh, god, man! He, um, you know, he's really interested in drones. He's a really good supporter of it, but he's also fifteen percent liability too, right? Because he crashes. He crashes them all the time. Right, right. And I've had long discussions with the guys at DJI about this. Like, you guys must give him drones, right? You give him drones like every week. You just send, you know, containers full of drones. There. Well, if they give me drones, they definitely give them to Casey Neistat. I'll tell you that much. But apparently, they don't. I guess, like, because I think that. And I, you know, take this forever as words because you know maybe they're lying to me, but like, you know, because of the fact that he does fly over people and that he does break the rules sometimes, it is seen to DJI as also a liability, and like they don't want to be seen as fueling something like that. Of course. Um, you know, I've actually talked to Casey a few times about like you know interesting ways to work together, but I'm a little bit sensitive too. Like, I don't want you to crash an FPV drone into a crowd or something, so. I'm a little bit careful about it, but the micros are a little bit easier, so maybe we'll do something together at some point. Yeah, man, I yeah, that that would be amazing. Like, you know, that that would be the biggest like marketing thing for you guys, like getting Casey. It, it'd be great actually to to like get him have a proper go of one, I think. And uh, didn't he do that in one video? But like, yeah, that that would be insane if we saw Casey doing that. Do you think he could fly? Because last time he got a new drone, I think he, he got this big new drone and he couldn't show you any footage because he put it in the river. And this was like a, a GPS one. and It's in the bottom of the, the river somewhere. I think he'd be really interested in it. And if we could get him on board, oh, man, that would that would skyrocket what we do for sure. I'm just emailing. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm still joining us now. We're live. Like, is it good or bad if he gets 2 million people to look at FPV? footage is is that going to be like too much attention too fast or do you think it's only going to be good i think it's a, i think it's a good thing because from what i see we're in we're in a sort of uh i mean i don't know about you guys but we're, we seem to be in a downwards a downward trajectory at the moment when it comes to this and i think uh, I, I, i've been talking to a lot of local lads and the amount of people that we've seen give up on this hobby because it's too complicated it's heartbreaking actually and what we have at the moment is people that have come through the other side they've got the simulator they they've got all of the the knowledge and so it's making what we do like really niche i think and um in order for it to become popular i think it needs to get a lot easier a lot more i was talking to nj about this um you you know we've got these um long-range systems now such as crossfire and how cool would it to be like if you've got the, the the full sort of range of flying acro but then if it all goes wrong you flick a switch and it just returns home like a dji model i think maybe uh i think maybe that's what we're missing and if it had that it would retain a lot of these people that get frustrated with it and uh so i think that's the problem we've got at the moment well, flights just added in the acro trainer as well. I haven't actually read up on that yet, but there's a yeah. new... Yeah, didn't Josh do a video on it where don't, don't, don't use Horizon, use this instead or something like that. So I mean, what you're talking about, you like, is lowering the barrier to entry into drone flying, right? Like making it easier for new people to get into it. And I guess the question I have for you is, how many Fat Shark 101 kits did you buy? Exactly. I was going to ask you about that, actually. How many got sold? I suppose. Well, yeah, that's that's the question because we already fly. So, how many? Yeah, was it was it a, a successful product? It kind of reminds me of the whole the old Hubson range because that's probably how everyone got into this this hobby. The X four. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, so I, really interesting feedback on that. Okay. Um, we we expected with DRL and DR one and and everything that. Uh, people were not getting into um, acro and drone racing because of, you know, super expensive, hard to put everything together. So Fat Shark 101 is like a 199, you know, headset, radio, simulator integration, instructions, instruction videos, micro quad that you can fly inside, outside. You literally, the only thing you need to open up to fly, to learn to fly acro. Uh, we were really surprised at how low the sales numbers were. And when we started to look into it, we realized that it's not these awareness issues. It's not people hearing about drone racing. A ton of people have heard about drone racing. They, they thought it's interesting. The, we, we had different segments of feedback that were really interesting. 
for the people that wanted to get into drone racing and learn to fly acro, they really liked it. You know, it had the right stick feel. It, you could learn to fly acro with it really effectively. For people who were picking it up as like a first drone, they hated it because flying, obviously, a drone with the level of control that you get is also really hard. Kind of the joke I tell people when they're like, oh, maybe I should get one of those. It's, it's the difference between playing rock band and learning to play the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like there's, there's maybe a little more satisfaction from learning to play the guitar, but you can hit your favorite licks on rock band opening the box. I don't know, man. I see some of those guys on rock band. I'm like, wow, they're better on rock band than I am at the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but I mean, sort of the difference is really there. And, um, that's, it, it's pretty interesting. And then what we've actually found is that it's the communities that cause new people to come in. So the two places where you see growth are in places where, like, uh, if you look at the multi-GP chapter level, where you have a really active chapter, where people help each other out, where you kind of go to hang out with your buddies on a Wednesday night to go fly. <clears throat> so it's the growth really comes almost from these, these friend groups. And so, you know, bringing other people in and having these, these great community moments, almost like a golf league or a bowling league is where the people find the satisfaction and really stay involved. And then the other place where we're seeing people get interested is in education. So where school groups do it, but again, that's still the same group. There's eight or 10 people. They're excited. They're building, they'll help each other solder, you know, they'll, they'll try out rates. They'll, they'll do stuff with each other. And it's, we were really surprised at how, basically little impact, large-scale awareness has on the number of people that are racing or flying freestyle versus how much impact on terms of satisfaction the local community group that somebody is involved with causes people to come and join the community group or not. But if I could be completely blunt, I think the, um, the reason for the Fat Start 101 um, not quite being the success you'd hoped is the price point. I mean, I've just Googled it now. If I look locally in the UK, it's £239, so about $260. Okay. Uh, I mean, I'm, sh I'm not questioning the quality of it. I'm sure you guys produced it, so it's great. Um, you didn't send me one for review. Um, but the reality... This, this is sounding like you're just a little bit more bitter than anything else. <laughs> half bitter, half begging. Oh, I'll, I'll tell you why. I'll tell you hey, why. Hang on, hang on. Let me just carry on. But Sorry. The problem you've got, the challenge you face, is that people Google that and they see £239. They go onto Banggood and they see a 50-quid FPV starter bundle with a, a goggle set, a, a quad, a transmitter, and everything they need to actually start flying immediately. And, and that's the challenge you face in the in the... In, sadly in the hobby today that people 240 quid's a lot of money for some I, I also think the market's completely flooded as well by the way i don't think it's mm. so much even even not the price i think at the moment because like i i look at, at, at trends and, and things like that and where everyone will agree that doing like fpv race drone the trends just going slightly down like that and i think we're in a position now where there's more products than actual people people buying so um you know I, th I think that will even out eventually though, there, but... there also does seem to be less community when i started uh, on my little fpv journey about six years ago you sort of find a couple of forums and they're really active and and as you say everybody's sort of contributing and there's build threads and people posting problems like I, I can't get this to work but and it was more about oh my god i've got it in the air i can't believe it and there's like a you know, sort of collective woo and these forums all seems to be dying down, dying off, dying off. And I don't know if that's because, as you say, Andy, it's very flooded and you don't need to go to a forum and get that community spirit to do stuff. You can just buy one and try it. And if yeah. you don't like it... Well, I'll tell you what I think. I'll tell you what I think it is because I've been, I've been hanging around with a lot of local lads and, uh, you know, um, they, they've been, you know, they'll, they'll tell me that they see people... You, you get a lot of people that will see the Mr. Steel videos, they'll see the schizo videos, and they think, oh, man, you know, they make that look so easy. I'm going to pile all of my money into that, and they spend, like, six, 700 quid on, like, a top-end thing. They arm it, and it just they just watch it fly away, and then they give up. <clears throat> so, so I think in about 2016, 17, we saw this huge what people call hype of, 
people piling money into this hobby, but then having a bad experience and going, well, I'm not doing that again. And I think that's where this culture of like going really cheap comes from, like clones and, and copies. Like people don't even care that it's a copy because it because it's it's really cheap and it's um yeah, it's a, we're in a difficult spot with the hobby at the moment, I think. And and maybe I think I think we need just just like the Fat Shark 101 is doing, perhaps it it, it just came out at the wrong time, maybe. Maybe that needed to be there at the start. But I, I'm I'm all about promoting a good first experience now. That is my thing because mm. that's all it takes is one bad experience. Like if you if you look at people buying from these cheap shops like Banggood and Gear Best, they'll they'll buy a component and it just fries and they're like that's it forget it and and they they move on and actually what's interesting is the dji market is going up and ash will tell you this the dji market is like is increasing and the the race drone is is going down and i think it's because dji you can literally you don't have to have any skill you don't have to have any knowledge. You can walk into a shop, with, buy it, and just fly it and get a good experience. And I think perhaps when it comes to the race drone world, we need a bit more of that. We need maybe G- a, a GPS safety switch. Do you know what? I, I think I think generally speaking, these people, these group of people that are having their bad experience and disappearing. Now, I, I started flying RC when I was about eight years old. And I quickly got into helicopters because I'm stupid. And I am ten. You will not find anyone more thicker skinned than a RC helicopter pilot because when you crash, you are crashing at least at least two hundred pounds worth, maybe more. All it takes is a bad landing, isn't it? Oh god! One linkage to go, and that's like three hundred. Well, single points of failure on helicopter. There are many, and at that point, you've got to put your tail between your legs, make that walk of shame in front of everyone, (laughs) pick up your pile of carbon. Go home, spend the money, build it again. I did that for ten years plus, you know. So uh, when it comes to the bloody thing, yeah, there's nothing a drone can do that can upset me on that front. I think that's (laughs) it's the gratification. So back five six years ago, all the hobbyists and you know we were used to things crashing, rebuilding, and doing stuff. Then, as uh, Andy and others said, you know the hype train caught up, and everybody was like, "Oh, look at these race trains; they're amazing. Let's get them." Oh, it crashed. That's really disappointing. And then there's the move to the the, the phantom types, and and they they go up. Race drones go down. Uh, I don't know where the equilibrium yeah. is. Though. I don't know. Pa- pa- I I think, uh, and me and NJ were talking about this the other day. If we can get tiny GPS units on these copters, you know, we've got Crossfire. It, it, Crossfire is kind of funny because it it works amazing, but then when it when it dies out, when you're like a mile away or whatever, you've got no return to home. And perhaps we need things like that to get small i think if that comes in we will get more people's interest because it's for example like wayne these little tiny buzzers that are out at the moment i cannot believe how popular the videos are about these little tiny buzzers that cost like ten dollars to twenty five dollars they're getting thousands of views because it's like people are just want don't want their Protecting investment, basically, isn't it? Yeah. So we're talking specifically about these. It's the fly, uh, fly, vi or vi fly, vi fly. Oh, that's man. it. And there's the Hellgate, and there's yeah. the, and they're all basically a buzzer with a lipo. Ground disconnects when the battery flies out. Oh. That's, that's, that's what it is. Why haven't I got one of those? Uh-huh. <laughs> Actually, do you know what? Do you know what? They offered me, offered to send me one, and I said I got the full speed one, and the full speed one. Um, doesn't work right. <laughs> oh no! Oh, that's not so bad because I thought Andy's stolen my thing. He's taken. He's taken. Yeah. My papers. No <laughs> man, I could not take that away from you, Wayne. But I've got. I've, I've got the unknown one. This is the Russian TV can. I bet. No I saw like your. I saw your post Ooh. on that. Yeah. Wonderful. Uh, um, I, I must. Uh, while we while we have the chance, obviously we've got two uh, very special guests here. So um, Grant and Alan, please tell us some. Tell us some. Have we got any fat shark news? Uh, have you got anything to wear? Is, wear there, is, there any, is there anything that otherwise we would have to sign an NDA to? <laughs> no, one, no, one watches, no one watches this. So so if you can tell us whether we've got some new OLED, you know, seventy five degree field of view. Uh, 1080p DVR coming out, then you know, yeah, it's twenty dollars too. Retail, twenty dollars, yeah, no, that's uh, yeah, no, you nailed it. Uh, it was gonna be a surprise, but <laughs> I have uh, Grant, 
there's something small that I can share actually from the state side here for anybody who's in the United States. And as you guys know, we're in a bit of a trade war with everybody right now. And um, <laughs> turns out, I'm so sorry, by the way. Uh, it turns oh, out yes. um, <laughs> all these sites like get FPV ready-made, everybody's uh, putting like taxes on everything that they sell now. So like prices are going up 2.9%, et cetera, like some of these favorite sites. And I'm happy to report that none of the fat chart goggles have tariffs on them. So you will not have to pay an extra 25% on goggles from now on. Good. That right. is good. Yeah. I mean, I, for me, like ordering anything abroad, whether it's China or America, we, I, I get like taxed every single time. Sometimes, you know, $30 worth of tax it's getting. Yeah. It's making it difficult. Do you guys, where do you guys order most of your stuff from? Like, if you guys had to go to like your top two sites, would it be Banggood and somewhere somewhere else? For, for me, uh, it'd be Banggood, Hobby King, Get FPV, Pyro Drone. For me, what about everyone else? Uh, oh, oh, Hobby RC in the UK. Yeah, oh, Hobby RC is great. I right. love that. Shop. And and T nine uh, Hobby Sport also. Oh, great uh, UK supplier. Quadcopters UK. Yeah. For me, That's, and uh, uh, sometimes Fast Lad. Yeah, that's where Tom Smith works for anyone that, that, that wasn't in the know. Tom Smith's a... a Tom, we want you on the podcast. We Come do. <laughs> apparently, he's quite, apparently he's quite shy, which I don't believe. Yeah. Sorry, Grant, what were you saying? Uh, you guys don't mind getting shipping from the United States from like Florida or anything? I think I don't order from the US personally. I think the US has the worst taxes when it comes do. to import, yeah. Sometimes Ironically, like... I actually ordered my Fat Shark SEs from um, Hobby King, and I got charged. I think it was about eighty pounds um, tax when it arrived. That's so that crazy. Ever ordering from them, and uh, this was before their EU warehouse. But I'd, I'd never order from them again. Hmm. Uh, the the Fat Shark SEs were worth every penny. After I had that disclaimer, Hobby King used to have this brilliant. Um, I don't know how they ever got away with it because they literally say, "Okay, you, you've gone to packaging." What do you want us to write for your customs detail? What would you like to write? Is and you could tick a box, say yeah. So you get this huge plane like this big, and it just says five dollars toy parts on it. It's like those customs got a little bit suspicious about that. It's like, well, this looks like a bit more expensive. All this stuff in it. So, do you think? Do you think that's political, like Brexit and and everything, or do you think it's just them cottoning on to what's happening? Because yeah, I've received like huge packages, and then just. Uh, <clears throat> the declaration is like, oh, you know, toy parts or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Gift. Gift three, is the best one. Three dollars toy parts. Andy, I think your face is probably up on the wall in the post office customs <laughs> building. It definitely yeah. is. It definitely just a, is. Just a quick tip regarding that. If you ever receive anything and you've got to pay a customs fee, if you see on the invoice it says admin charge or clearance fee, there's a template, you can just Google it, um, email them this template, and they remove that clearance or admin fee immediately. It's not They're not legally allowed to do it. And it's is, very, that right? is that the same as the handling fee? Exactly. It's normally because £20, I've, pound, £15. I've seen it before. I've seen it before where I've, I've had stuff, and, and the actual customs has been like £2 or something, and then it said eight, £8 pounds or even £11 pounds handling fee. I think exactly. it was UPS that did it. And I thought that is super cheeky. I mean, this this is definitely a scam if ever I've seen one. But there, there's carriers that uh, will not even deliver it until you've paid it, and that you can't even get uh, into a discussion about it. Because I've I've seen the same legal arguments about you know you've been contracted to deliver it. It's up to me if I'm going to pay HMRC or not. But if you can't get your package in the first place, then you can't you can't do anything about it. Just yeah. while we're here, can I show you, this is the last thing I ordered. Um, I think this was the last thing I got from the States, actually, and this was from Get FPV. These are my V1 Fat Shark Attitudes. And these I've actually, these these I had to, when this finally came out, the faceplate, I just basically stickied it on because <laughs> it was, the fogging was driving me mad. But look how tired and old these are. And these still work. I've had these apart so many times, but these are the V1 Attitudes. <laughs> He's at awesome. private place. I will never sell these. My first ever goggles. All right. Um, Alan, do you, do you have anything to add in terms of things coming up from Fat Shark? Well, uh, I mean, some small things. Obviously, the for everybody who's into the HD2s, the T2 campaign, the Terminator 2 campaign was funded. So those are in the process of production. We'll get them out to everybody who backed them. So that's 
that's pretty exciting. You, we had a lot of feedback on people wanting HD uh, when, HD2s when you, because the when you say easy. sorry to interrupt when you say bat, this was a crowdfunding thing, was it? What was the story behind that? I I know I know when the HDOs came out, there was a flooding which which I didn't agree with of the oh the field of view isn't too so is this a response to those things? Crowdfunding. Yeah. So we we um we take all that feedback, we pay attention to it. Obviously, we we try to listen to everybody, even though we're a small company, and you know, evolve our products to match what people want and want to fly. And a lot of people had mentioned, "Hey, you know, let's go get us the get us the headset from before we can't get it." And obviously, um, for us to do a production run and not just bleed money, we have to do a minimum order of five hundred units. That, like that's, that's that's for the panels. I, I take it you have to have a minimum order of the panels, right? Well, and we got to shoot the plastics and all sorts of stuff. And we don't make money at uh, at five hundred or anything. But if we're, you're less than five hundred, you lose a ton of money. Um, right. So we we really thought, okay, we can do something cool here. We can put it out there and see if there's interest. And if there's enough interest, so that we don't lose hundreds of thousands of dollars making these, then we're, we're happy to do a production run of them. And so just in response to the community, we got that feedback. We're obviously doing a one-time run, but uh, it's, it was exciting that sort of we all decided to put in the extra work and say, all right, if this exists, great. Now, um, we did that via crowdfunding, which is super unusual for us, and we're not trying to do a direct model or anything, but we just didn't want anybody left holding three or 400 pieces of, you know, T2 stock and, and just have them sit in the warehouse and not get used. So that was why we, we chose to do something a little different there, but uh, it's exciting for everybody who, who backed that or who was interested in that product is th those are moving along pretty well right now in terms of production. We're excited yeah. to be able to get them to customers who wanted them. Yeah, I think that's a real shame. I knew nothing about that. Well, I blame Grant for that. You got to yell at him. He was in charge of. I tell you what, Ash, it's all it's promotion. all it's all over Facebook. So um, really, perhaps you're a bit under under a rock a bit there, but <laughs> I, I knew I knew about it. I knew about it. I yeah. did. It's the first time I've seen that Indiegogo. Yeah, that's the first time I've seen that crowdfunding project on there. So there are a few extra. I think a couple of random retailers purchased some. So if anybody wants to buy some on the back end, I think in the UK. HobbyRC, .co.uk, has 20 of them. So mm -hmm. I don't know if they posted a um, pre-order page or not, but if anybody wants to grab those in the UK, um, they should be there probably five, six weeks from now. And then get FPBS some and ready-made RCF some. There's a comment there in the uh, in the uh, chat from Mikey Dread that said, "Why Terminator? Why not Dora the Explorer?" Yeah, you've chosen a very <laughs> a very T2, a very sort of well, it, was, of, uh, it, it, it absolutely started as a, like an I'll be back kind <laughs> of throwback to, you know. Uh, so Greg, Greg, up until the HDOs, would have always said that was his favorite goggle because he likes to have the experience of flight. So the, the whole naming started as a throwback from, you know, a famous Schwarzenegger quote, and that's kind of how we got there. Ah, nice. So, also, I love the FOV of the SEs, and I've just upgraded to the HD3s. And I, although it's a step down in FOV, it's perfect. I love them. Yeah, that's my main goggle too. The HD3s with the the True D 3.7. I've I've been super yeah. happy with it. All works great. In fact, there's a question for Fat Shark talking about the modules. So I've just um, got a Doc King from Furious FPV. Careful how I say that, and. Just say docking. I believe Dock, it's. Yeah. I believe it's like a Chinese, <laughs> like a Chinese finger locks. We did idea. so well. We did so well yeah, this episode. It's to do with the air getting vacuumed or something. <laughs> anyway, um, the pins. I got the be, connection. I got to be Jack. Someone's got to be. Jack. We need a Jack. Yeah, I've just seen Jack laugh in the comments. It's like this. That's just made his episode. As soon as there was some smut in the episode. Um, the connection that that connection style is that a fat sh fat shark invention because i no matter how hard i try with the trudy modules i manage to bend a pin every time i remove those modules so yeah is that just yeah me? it's 
It, the, the, you're talking about the eight pin black connector in the modular bay. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was definitely when fat shark did the first modular bay, when Greg instituted it years ago, that was a great connector to use for it. And now the, it, it still works uh, really effectively making electrical connections. The challenge again, when we look at doing anything new in a headset, and that is one of the things we regularly look at, if we change it out, all of your receivers no longer work. Yeah. Right. So imagine we released an HDO2 with like a new USB connector and I'm making stuff up. How furious would the entire community be that like all of their current receivers don't work? I, I don't, I'm not um, so sure because goggles are a, a year investment, two year investment. So uh, and the Furious D module is only 50, 60 quid, I think. I wouldn't be overly put out if I had to buy a new module when I was investing 400 pounds on a new set of goggles, to be honest. We will definitely take that into consideration then. That's just uh, <laughs> one, of our, one of our big debates is always, well, what do we do here? Um, just again, you know, it was a great standard and then everybody develops and buys all these components that work for it. And so in some ways we're held to some of the, the legacy decisions that were made for a lot longer than maybe you would be if you were a brand new company. So this is, this um, is turning into an, an Apple kind of discussion here and about them losing headphone jacks and moving to lightning connectors and yeah right and how angry was everybody about no headphones still bought it still it's like the latest oh yeah we've upgraded the laptop and now all your legacy usb devices won't work unless you buy this extra adapter but it's not like you know apple what they've just gone to one trillion dollar company now or something ridiculous so it's they have you know what you know the thing with with that i know with with dangerous danger of going off topic here but apple there's a certain there's a certain group of people that rely on apple and have done for years and that's content creators certainly musicians in terms of the you know what we use and when you turn around someone like musicians who do all the music production primarily overwhelmingly so on apple computers and say by the way, we started removing the headphone jacks on a bunch of stuff. Or, you know, you can buy some beats if you want, <laughs> you know, when they've got, you know, even stuff like this, you know, real expensive headphones that are, they're only going to come with a, with a jack. You know, you're in danger of um, losing focus, shall we say. So, um, yeah, I'm sure the business model's working, but you have to, there has to be some thought about your core audience, I think. Yeah. And for us, like, we're actually really sensitive to the fact that this hobby is is expensive and stuff crashes and breaks and you're replacing it all the time and you know one of the things we try to be really cognizant about is hey if we're going to launch something new we don't want to have you to have to go buy another 200 dollars worth of gear right like you probably should work with everything you already have but you know we really um we understand headsets are already a really expensive component and it would be I mean, we don't want to turn 2019 into the year Fat Shark makes profit off dongles. You know, <laughs> that, like, that, that might look good on the books, but uh, it's a pretty terrible way to go forward to be like, well, 80% of our revenue came from our receiver dongle. That was tricky. So we'll, we'll try to avoid that. That's fun. Wonderful. So I think we're, we're almost approaching the hour. If anyone in the comments wants to uh, drop any questions in for um, Alan and Grant, now's the time to do it before uh, we I, wrap uh, things up. I just have a question for you guys, because, uh, you know, obviously you guys are, are the main leaders uh, with, with FPV goggles. I just wonder if you guys ever check out products from other manufacturers, like like, like recently... I checked out the Ionway V2, and they've got some incredible features. I, I always wonder if you ever get them in to compare them against your product. Oh, hey, funny story. Did you guys know that the guy who started Ionway used to work for FatSark? No, no way. Oh, this is a bombshell. You heard it here first, people. You heard it here not know that. I'll let, you, I'll let you marinate on that for a little while. Tell us the story. <laughs> Tell us the story. I'm going to say, yeah, of course. I mean, we would be doing, uh, we would, we would, it's important that we do our diligence and make sure that, you know, we're on top of the state of the art. And so we have every single pair of goggles. We have Oculus Rifts. We have HTC Vibes. We have you know, all sorts of stuff in the office just because we want to know what's going on with the industry in terms of display technology, OLED, DLP, et cetera. And um, 
we don't know people are responding to too. So, you know, Greg is always on RC groups, just hanging out and trolling and talking and like listening to people. And he's very sensitive to what's going on in the industry. So is Alan. And um, I would say it's safe to say that we have every single set of goggles on the market in stock somewhere around here. Do you, do you feel that sort of imitation is this and serious form of flattery with these goggles? Cause I was just doing a piece about, um, Diopter inserts and different ones you can get, and of course, if you get them for Fat Shark, they will fit every other sort of goggle going. Because did everybody else just pick a pair of Fat Shark? Say, oh yeah, that's a little handy slot. We'll just all put those in as well. And again, with the receivers, the the bays become kind of a standard, hasn't it? Where you can fit into many yeah. other goggles. If so, you were yeah, we get about, I mean, it's that's fine. the entire reason that Banggood exists, doesn't it? <laughs> Pretty much. Uh, this is a very interesting like I think much larger conversation, but basically from a purchasing perspective in the hobby, um, obviously we regularly invest in engineering and in new features and in trying to do new things. And some of those, and I've talked about this before, we end up not shipping because it doesn't meet our standard. Uh, a lot of, it's much easier to, to uh, be inspired by somebody else's innovations and, and uh, put them into your own product. Uh, it costs much less, just much less. And so, you get a lot of people that are then price competitive with some of these features. Um, so generally as a consumer, obviously you, everybody always wants the best deal, but sometimes the best deal short term isn't the best deal long term. And I think that's always a trade off to make. I thought the Onways were really impressive for, for the price of them. What, what's the story about the guy, the Onway guy, though? I want to get into yeah, the nitty-gritty. <laughs> he worked for Fat Shark and moved on. Because what I get from Onway is, like, when I look through them, because I got the V2s recently, and I look through them, and they look like Fat Shark. So why is that? <laughs> <laughs> I think this is, like, an entirely different episode. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, I, think basically, I think basically Grant just came in and drop the mic right at the end there. And, and yeah, that's, that's going to be whole, that's gonna, yeah, that's a whole East other thing. We have got one question from uh, Bill MRC. Hey, Bill, good to have you in the chat. Um, I have a question. What do you think about the concept of the VTX Viper new release? So that's really interesting. The Viper is one of the goggles that we look at and we see the success. And it, they did a really good job with that headset. Um, a lot of it matches what we did with the recon. So in terms of some of the optical architecture and uh, we were originally hoping to have something uh, similar to what, in terms of performance to what they did in this time period. So that is, I think, I think the Viper did a good job. I think there are elements there that obviously could continue to use work, but they're, from our perspective, we, we don't call them box goggles, they're panel goggles whenever you do some more interesting optics, but with a single panel. And we personally believe, and you can see this in the recon, that for entry-level FPV pilots, that panel goggles are really starting to create an interesting opportunity um, to have a lower-cost first experience. Yeah. And so, you know, I think they executed on a panel goggle pretty well. It is a place that we're continuing to put a lot of resources. And, you know, you saw the transformer from us first, then you saw the recon, and so obviously we're continuing to look at and try to improve those offerings. Yeah, Again, I, from our side, for more of an entry-level uh, headset that people can really get behind. Yeah, there are defi there's definitely a market for that, and there's still I still know a lot of pilots that just prefer the panel setup, and, yeah, it's I, I do feel that's something that perhaps a lot of, of other companies are still sort of ignoring or they're not seeing the, just how big that market is. Yeah, I still see plenty of people with that type of um, that type of headset for sure. They're so cheap as well. Yeah, absolutely. I see a lot of people on the old uh, EV eight hundred Ds. Those yeah. those are obviously an, an old e sheen, yeah. but there's still people yeah. that have moved away from them. And and there's there's not loads and loads of alternatives like they are in in the main patch shot goggles that many of us fly. I uh, yeah. I don't I don't know if this is an exclusive, but the you're talking about the Vipers, right? Yeah. Yeah. There's a V2 coming out next week. <laughs> I, I, don't know, I don't know if I should say that, but whatever. 
And don't worry, we'll buy them. I mean, we we obviously buy <laughs> all those what? and do it. But what's great I, about the Vipers is the for glasses wearers, because obviously me, Specky, um, that so you know that's why I like them. So we are also very actively looking at that. Before I had laser eye surgery, I was negative eight diopters with a diopter of astigmatism in both eyes. Oh, wow. So even fat sharks couldn't work for you. <laughs> no, it, it, exactly. Exactly. So if you look, I was the founder of Avagon, and that's a big part of why we cared so much about putting diopter adjustment in there. So, you know, we, I really think panel goggles and Viper does a, a good job of this and Again, obviously, it's a segment we're working in, so it's not like suddenly we're surprised by it or anything. Do you uh, do you do you see fat sharks? Because I've got, I've right down here now. Actually, I can pick them up. I got the Oculus Rift here. Do you see yeah. F, Do you see FPV goggles in order for them to progress? Do you, I mean, I'm I'd be fine wearing this as an FPV goggle. Do you see that? The, that being the direction that it could go, like to get... You see entry level? Absolutely. So if you look like the Recon Goggle, which we launched last November, is on like $99 retail, has a very similar form factor. It's not a full box goggle. Instead, it has advanced optics as a panel goggle. Makes it pretty similar, pretty lightweight, pretty high performance, definitely lower cost. And, um, you know, the Vipers are very similar in terms of like general optical construction and i really think that category that entire class of panel goggle is really great for i'd say a lower cost architecture you know i don't think it's going to replace the the premium architecture but i definitely think there's something really neat there and i i know we've talked about this before but really for for the adjustment of the ipd it's going to have to go to that size i think in order for people to get the the more IPD and the the more immersive thing, and I think it'd be great to have both. So you've got the thing that why I always use Fat Sharks is the size. It's always a compromise, but um, they're just so small on, on your face compared to something like a box goggle or or even the uh, you know this Oculus sort of thing. So um, yeah, so it it'd be great to see something like that from Fat Shark. Hint, hint. <laughs> please, please take a hint from the Onways on the SD card location. I love on the Onways. I can get the SD card out without needing to use a screwdriver to catch the end of it. Oh. I, t- I tell you what's great about the Onways for me. I mean, this is the thing about goggles: is everyone has a different. Yeah, it's very thing. subjective. We've talked yeah. about it before. There's a there's a million people that want a power button. There's a million people that won't <laughs> buy them if they've got a power button. Uh, for for me, it's the aspect ratio switch. So between four by three and mm. sixteen by nine. So yeah. that's something that Onway. Uh, that's my favorite thing about the latest Onway is even though they're more expensive than Fat Shots. And what I got, it's funny. I did a um, a review on the Onway V2s, and I said, look, the reason why no one's going to buy these is because Fat Sharks are cheaper and Fat Shark offer the customer service. So I sort of t- took it out there and said, look, have you ever used Onway's customer service? And it was 50-50. Some people said they had a great experience with Onway. Um, and then others said, oh, I've, I emailed them and uh, three months later, I've got nothing. Whereas with Fat Shark's customer service, everyone seems to be happy. And uh, so I think... Um, yeah, I think that's it. But but for me, the the, the sw- I think Onway have got it when it comes to the the firmware, but Fat Shark have got it when it comes to the customer service. Perhaps you should it maybe employ that guy back. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. I'm kidding. He's dead to them now. They ain't got him back. He's I'm, on the list. I'm kidding, but uh, yeah, no, I I always um, even even when I had problems with the shells lately, you know. I, I still say, look, people aren't going to buy the Onway because because of the customer service, and that's what you guys offer. Yeah, well, we think if anybody's going to spend as much money as they do for our products, that they deserve all the support for you know the lifetime of that product and, and how they're going to use it. And that's something we uh, we take really seriously because you know um, it matters, right? You don't want to be out there flying and have something go wrong and be like, how much did I spend on this? I hate these guys. We'd rather be like, yeah, we'll sort you out because, you know, really anybody who's buying our products and flying, they're, they're hobbyists. And that's how Greg started. And, 
you know, again, we think the money you guys spend is precious, right? We all have to work for it. And, um, this hobby is not cheap. And so we definitely want you to feel like it's a safe investment. And, and this stuff fails. I, I, I try and say this, this stuff fails. It's like, you know, so, so that again, I, I think I've used the fat shark customer service four times and each time they've just sat and sorted me out. So it, no matter how frustrated I get, I will still go to fat shark because of that. Yeah, and over the next four times, you'll get sorted out, right? Like, it's, exactly. there's no worries. It's checks in the mail, Andy. <laughs> Do not say that. Do not yeah. say that. I get enough grief saying that I work yeah. for you guys when I don't. Can I just say, well, Jack's not here. I'm Andy Arcee. I work for Fat Shark, and so I have to, you know, they have to be my main goggles. <laughs> you, you, just, you just fueled Jack and Tony to be talking about that for the next six months. Good work, bro. <laughs> um, right, I guess we had probably better wrap that up here because we've we've passed the hour. Um, a big thank you to Alan and Grant from Fat Shark for joining us. I hope you'll come <laughs> back again soon. Uh, thanks for the time, guys. Thank you. And, uh, of course, our usual culprits, um, Jack and um, – what was his name again? Oh, yeah, Tony. Yeah, Jack <laughs> oh, and yeah, Tony. Yeah. The service B, will the resume. B yes, the, the B team. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah, the, the B team will resume from uh, next week. Of hang, on, hang on, are we the B team or are they the B team? They're the, they're the B team. We'll put that in the podcast. We're the genius squad. <laughs> yeah, thanks very much to uh, Ash from joining on. Cheers, guys. Andy, I'll see Thanks, everybody. Good evening. Harry Kitten. Cheers, guys. And I'm NJ Tech. We'll see you guys again soon. Thanks for watching. Telemetry lost.